I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom is the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries, and his financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. I would like to welcome you to the series titled Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. This is the second of three sessions that are intended to help you obtain godly counsel and wisdom before you make any major financial decision. In the second session, uh, this one here, we're going to focus on some real-life case studies um, so that you can understand the practical application of the biblical principles. And if you haven't done so already, I would encourage you to watch session one where I do provide an overview of the biblical financial principles as it relates to obtaining godly counsel and wisdom. And in session three, I'll be providing some more practical uh, real-life case studies. So here's the first uh, case study. Uh, again, as usual, the names have been selected at random. So if your name is Jeff, I'm not talking about you. So here's the, here's the first case study. Jeff is single. He has been working full-time for 12 years, and he earns an above-average income. Jeff purchases a new car every three years because he does not want to incur significant auto repairs. Without realizing it, Jeff spends considerable money on eating out and golfing. Jeff believes that he's a good money manager because there are some areas where he pinches his pennies. For example, unlike his sister, he rarely buys new clothes and almost never goes to the shopping mall. Jeff is still renting an apartment. For many years, he has wanted to purchase a house. However, he has not been able to save a sufficient down payment. Jeff lives paycheck to paycheck, spends all of his regular income, and sometimes even more, on credit cards. Jeff has no savings, and the balances on his credit cards and personal line of credit have been gradually increasing over the years. Jeff is a Christian, attends church regularly, but only gives about 2% of his income to God's work. He feels he cannot afford to give any more. A friend recommended that Jeff obtain some biblical financial counsel, but Jeff feels that the only solution for him is to earn significantly more income so he can purchase a house one day and pay off his debts. So here's the first question. So far, Jeff has not obtained biblical financial counsel. Do you think he should? And the more important question here is why? I think the first part is easy. Yes, he should obtain, more, obtain some biblical financial counsel. I mean, everyone should before they make a major financial decision. But Jeff particularly should obtain biblical financial counsel because he's been violating several biblical financial principles, maybe unknowingly, but he's been violating them, and they've resulted in him living paycheck to paycheck, um, accumulating debt, and not being able to save a reasonable down payment for a home. And remember, Jeff is an above average. He's a fairly high income earner, as indicated in the case study. He should have been able to, after 12 years, save a down payment for a house, but he, but he hasn't because he's been spending all his money and accumulating debt. So here's the second question. Jeff believes that the solution to his financial problems is to increase his income. What do you think? Do you think if he makes a whole lot more money, that's going to solve his financial problems? Uh, consider what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. That's the Christian Standard Bible. Also consider the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, remember that's where God, who's the master, the master entrusted five talents to one servant, three, two to another, and one to a third servant. The Bible says after a long time, 
perhaps a lifetime, the master, that is God, returned, and he made the servants accountable. And interesting, one had five talents of money and he gained five more, and so God, um, God entrusted him with even more. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The one who had two talents and, and gained two more got the exact same praise from God. Um, but the one who had one talent, he made no effort to invest his master's money. He was lazy. Um, he, it's, it's like a Christian being entrusted with money and material things, but they make no effort whatsoever. And what did the master do? He actually took away that one talent from him and gave it to the one who demonstrated that he was a faithful servant. So um, what, what, do you, what do you think here about Jeff? Especially, he's been unfaithful with a small amount. What do you think is going to happen when he gets a large amount? And I'd say based on these scriptures, from a biblical perspective, um, we know Jeff has been mismanaging his current level of income. And I can say this based on scripture, and I can say it based on just 44 years of practical experience. If Jeff earns more income, he's likely going to mismanage that the, way, the same way, and it's not likely going to make any significant difference. Actually, one of the downsides to having a higher income is your borrowing capacity increases. And often people with higher income who have been mismanaging a small amount, uh, they'll mismanage a larger amount. It's really a matter of the attitude, the heart, the way you think about managing money. Uh, so often if they mismanage a small amount, they'll do the same, they'll apply the same thinking to a larger amount. And because their income's higher, they'll have a much higher borrowing capacity and they can get even to, into, into more trouble. So here's the third question. What do you think Jeff's real issue is with respect to obtaining counsel? What do you think his real issue is with respect to obtaining counsel? I'd say this, Jeff has a spiritual issue in either that he's too proud to listen to counsel, and of course, 1 Peter 5.5 5 states that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride so may be one issue for Jeff, or the other issue may be is he's simply unwilling to accept God's provision for him in terms of lifestyle, particularly with respect to automobiles, eating out, and golfing. Um, this actually demonstrates a lack of contentment um, for Jeff. He's a lack of contentment and unwillingness to live within the, the income that God has provided. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you and never, never will I forsake you. So what biblical principles, we're going to get specific here, what biblical principles has Jeff been violating? And provide a reference to Scripture where you can. So if you really want to identify a biblical principle, you need to identify the reference to Scripture. So here's, here's what I had, the biblical principles that this fellow's been violating. He has not sought counsel from the three courses of biblical counsel. That's what this series is all about. First from the Lord. Remember 1 Kings 22.5? Joseph had said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. The second source of counsel is from God's word. Psalms 119.24 says, Your statutes are my delight, they are my counselors. Or the third source of uh, biblical counsel is a godly financial advisor. The second thing I'd say, the second biblical principle that he's violating, he's not content with God's provision. 1 Timothy 6, Paul said, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we shall take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Thirdly, Jeff is spending all of his income, and as a result, he is not saving for future needs, and uh, including a down payment of his house, for a house. Number four, as mentioned previously, Jeff likely has an issue with pride. Number five, Jeff's focus or his heart is on material things. And in Colossians chapter 3, um, Paul said, Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
So he, he's not doing that. He's really, he probably has an issue with the love of money. And you know what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, some of those people that have an issue with the love of money are Christians. They're, they're, they've wandered from the faith. And that's, that's really what applies here for Jeff. Jeff's also, the practical aspect of, of um, following biblical principles is to develop and implement a budget. He hasn't done that. In other words, he's, he's not managing his monthly cash flow according to biblical principles, spending a little more than he's making and, and accumulating debt rather than paying down debt and uh, saving for a down payment on a house. Now here's a point, uh, question five. Jeff maintains that purchasing a new car every three years is a good financial decision because he avoids major auto repairs. So what do, what do you think of that? Do you think that's a good decision because he's avoiding major auto repairs? Think about that. I disagree. Jeff is incurring high depreciation costs by purchasing a new automobile every three years. Automobile costs, I, I know this from decades of experience, they're minimized if an individual either buys a new car and keeps it till it's worn out, i.e. 10 or 15 years, or he buys a good used car and allows someone else to incur the initial high depreciation costs during the first three to four years. Yes, repairs costs can be a little bit higher with a, with a good used car, usually not a lot, but generally a lot less. The repair costs are going to be a lot less than the high depreciation costs in the first three to four years um, after you, you buy a car. Uh, often some people say when you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot, you've already lost $5,000. Now that's going to depend on, for some cars that can be more and other cars that can be less, but there's definitely a, a, a depreciation factor in the first um, um, three to four years for sure. I'd say this, Jeff is likely justifying his frequent purchase of a new automobile because he likes to drive a new car every three years. It's that simple. It could also be tied into his identity, which is a common thing that some men struggle with, even some women do too, but it's more a male problem where people believe that the material things they have, including the car they drive, reflects who they are. And this is not true. Um, as Christians, our identity uh, should be in Jesus Christ, not in, not in material things. So question six, uh, suppose that Jeff became open to receiving some biblical counsel and that you were his financial advisor. What biblically-based financial advice would you give him and provide a reference to scripture to support your advice? So th think about that. Here's what I had. First, learn God's financial principles. A good starting point would be to participate in a small group financial study. My organization has one. If they go to the website, copelandfinancialministries.org, there's lots of, um, there's an in-depth study based on my book, Financial Management God's Way, that's available predominantly through Zoom, so it doesn't matter where you live. The second thing that Jeff should do, very important, is to meditate on God's Word regularly. Remember Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And why do you meditate on God's Word? Because in Romans 12.2 it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Jeff needs to renew his mind. He needs to change the way he thinks about money and material things by digging into God's Word, studying it, meditating on it, praying over it. The third thing he should do is develop and implement a budget to ensure that he's spending less than he earns so he has a surplus to pay down debt and save for future needs, such as a down payment on a home. He's doing the opposite. Um, he needs to learn to be content to live within God's provision. Actually, we have to learn to be content to live within something less than our income so you have that surplus so you can start getting ahead. Number five, in prayer, ask God for his strength to manage money God's way. Number six, regularly seek counsel from a godly financial advisor, just not getting that. 
Number seven, give the first fruits to God's work. He's not making giving to, a, giving to God's work a priority. The next one, he, he needs to make debt reduction a priority. Um, God warns that we may become a servant to lender, and he actually is without realizing it. One way he's becoming a servant, he's accumulated all this debt. And secondly, one of his goals, which is, I think, a good goal, is to try to own your own place. Um, he, um, he hasn't been able to even save a decent down payment. Of course, uh, next, Jeff should also reduce his lifestyle. As he's been living beyond his means, that's for sure. Um, number 10, Jeff should avoid the financial temptations to spend money. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, God will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So Jeff needs to avoid the car dealerships every three years. He needs to keep his car for 10 or 15 years till it's worn out. He needs to avoid the restaurants because he eats, spends a lot on eating out. And he needs to reduce or maybe even eliminate his golfing, maybe take up a sport that's not so expensive. Um, he also probably needs to, he needs to control his spending on his credit card. So maybe he needs to take those credit cards and get some scissors and cut it in half, do some plastic surgery. Or uh, he can throw them in the drawer and leave them at home so he's not tempted. Or another option is just to uh, obtain and use a debit card. Or he can use cash too as well. But uh, just avoid that temptation of easy credit with the credit cards. The next item, Jeff believes that it's normal and it's okay to run a balance on his credit cards. What do you think? Do you think that's, uh, that's normal and it's okay to run a, a balance on his credit cards? Um, here's my comments. Certainly today, most people in this country and around the world carry balances on their credit cards and sometimes significant balance and, and for years and often for decades, they make it a lifestyle. So in a sense, it is normal to carry a balance on your credit cards, but it's financially foolish. And it's contrary to God's word, and it's very costly. Romans 13 age says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. Now, we need to pay our debts, and we should pay them on time, uh, and even go beyond, and it's very costly. Here, let me give you an example. Many people run a balance on their credit cards, say all of the credit cards, say $25,000 would be their ongoing average balance for years, sometimes decades. They make it a, make it a lifestyle, do it for decades. And if you assume a 20% interest rate, that means they're paying $5,000 a year in interest costs. Um, and let's suppose that they make it part of their lifestyle. They do it over 50 years. The total amount they're going to spend, uh, they're going to waste, really, on interest is $250,000. This is terrible stewardship. It's absolutely terrible stewardship. It's a waste of money. And long term, it gives rise to not only financial problems, but many other problems as well. So um, we got it. It's not wrong to have a credit card. I have a credit card. I, I use it to buy needs. I pay it off each month. Not, not wrong to have a credit card, but you got to make sure you're using it just to buy needs. Maybe some wants and desires, but make sure you can pay it off each month. As soon as you can't pay it off, maybe you should stick it in the drawer at, at home and leave it at home and go forward. going forward, go with cash or, or a debit card. Okay, I'd like to get into the second case study here. John and Susan have been married for five years. They have developed and implemented a budget to ensure they are spending less than they are earning. They have saved a reasonable down payment for a home, and the bank has approved them on their financing. They feel some pressure to purchase a home, ASAP, because prices have increased substantially over the past three years. Nevertheless, they really want to be sure it's God's will for them to purchase a house before they make the commitment. As a result, over the next several months, John and Susan spend considerable time in prayer studying God's word on finances. They notice that God instructs 
us to seek biblical counsel, so they met with an individual at their church who regularly leads a biblical financial study. The counselor commented that they had managed their money well to date within biblical guidelines, and he gave them several articles and scriptures that explained God's wisdom in the area of investing, which would relate to the purchase of a house. John and Susan were surprised that there was so much in the Bible about investing. As they studied the scriptures, they came to realize that only God knows the future and only God knows the direction of the real estate prices. Even though all the experts were telling them that real estate would only increase in value, John and Susan decided to prayerfully seek God's specific wisdom and direction for their life. After spending considerable time with the Lord in prayer, studying His Word, listening to His voice, and seeking God's peace on the matter, John and Susan concluded that God was directing them not to purchase a home at the present time. Of interest over the next three years, the fair market value of real estate in their area decreased by about 25%, and also after three years, in considerable prayer, God gave John and Susan His peace to go ahead with the purchase of the home. They praised God for his wisdom and direction because they paid approximately $50,000 less for the home and their down payment was $25,000 greater. And because of their savings over the last 23 years, that last three years, sorry, that's why they had $25,000 more. So the mortgage they took on was $75,000 less than what it otherwise would have been. So they, they just praised God for his wisdom and directing them. So here's the first question. What are the three sources of biblical counsel that John and Susan obtained? What are the three sources? Provide a reference to scripture. The first is they spent considerable time in prayer with the Lord over a period of several months asking God to give them His wisdom and to, to direct them according to His specific will. Luke 22, colon 42, Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. So they, they first place of counsel was God. Secondly, John and Susan studied God's word, the Bible, on the topic of investing and God directed them through His word. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Thirdly, they obtained biblical counsel from a godly financial advisor, the fellow at their church that led to biblical financial studies. So uh, that's their three sources of, of counsel, God, God's word, and a godly financial advisor. Question number two, what do you think is, the, is different about John and Susan's approach to this important financial decision compared to what many other Christians do? So what do you think is different and support your answer with uh, reference to scripture. Here's what I had. They decided to obey God regardless of their own desires and regardless of the advice from the real estate experts. Remember in Acts, uh, I think it's Paul said, we shall obey God rather than men. Secondly, John and Susan were willing to wait upon the Lord for his timing. Psalms 37, seven says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And one scripture that's really powerful, Isaiah 64, four says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And God indeed did act on behalf of John and Susan as they waited for him. Thirdly, they trusted God's counsel not to purchase a house at that time three years ago, even when they wanted to buy one. So they, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and God will direct your path. Number four, they spent quality time with the Lord in prayer asking for his wisdom, James 1, 5, and listening to his voice and for God's specific plan for their lives, very few people, very few people do what John and Susan did. Very few. So here's the third question, and this is a key question. In Psalms 32, 8, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. In what ways can God instruct us or direct us? And provide a reference to Scripture for each point. And I have, um, I have seven ways here. There's others, but I have seven ways in which God can instruct and direct us. 
The first is in response to prayer. God can provide us his peace or lack of peace regarding a proposed decision. Remember in John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God can give you a peace or lack of peace um, before you make the decision. Always pray and ask him to give that to you, either a peace or lack of peace, so you can also discern his timing, which is what John and Susan did. God can also speak to us through his word. Uh, by um, highlighting specific scriptures that apply to their particular situation. And that's what happened with John and Susan as they, they, they read God's word. They realized the real estate experts don't know what the direction of the market is. Um, only God does. And, and God obviously spoke to them through his word and through his spirit to not buy a house at that particular time three years ago. Also during our quiet times, sometimes God will speak to our hearts and minds by way of a gentle whisper. As I think of 1 Kings 19, God spoke to Elijah by way of a gentle whisper and gave him specific instructions to um, go and appoint Elijah as his succeeding prophet. And um, number four, God can instruct us through godly financial advisors. Um, Proverbs 15.22 says, A wise man seeks many counselors with too few plan counselors' plans go astray. Number five, Jesus promised that my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. God can, can speak to us. If you're born of the Spirit of God, God through his Holy Spirit can speak to you. He can put thoughts in your mind, he can speak to your heart, he can do it audibly as he did with Moses, but he may not do it audibly. He can just speak to your heart and mind and, and direct you as to what he wants you to do. Number six, God can open and close the doors according to his will. Number seven, God can reveal his will as you prepare a budget to determine what you can afford. This one is really important and very practical. Often people go and buy something, take on a debt. It could be a house, could be a car, could be anything. And they haven't prepared a budget beforehand to determine what they can afford. And God admonishes us to plan ahead um, in the parable of the tower in Luke chapter 14. So here's the fourth question. Do you think that circumstances are important in discerning God's will before you make a major financial decision? For example, suppose you see a great deal. Does that mean you should go ahead and buy that item? Or suppose you're approved on a large mortgage. Does that mean that God wants you to move ahead and purchase a house using the full amount of that mortgage? So the question is, where do circumstances fit in by way of terms of priority and making an important financial decision? In other words, are circumstances the most important, second most important, or they may not be important at all? Important at all. Think about these questions. Here's my recommendation. Circumstances can be important, but we need to consider circumstances in conjunction with the following. Number one, all decisions must be within God's principles. If you're about to make a financial decision and it's contrary to God's word, you're gonna, you haven't developed and prepared a budget to see what you can afford, um, you know, it's, the odds are, it, it's, even if the, the, the debt financing is available, the credit's available, which is so easy today to get, that doesn't mean God, God wants you to go ahead. Secondly, ask God in prayer. This is more important than circumstance. Ask God in prayer for his specific direction and wait upon the Lord for his instructions uh, because waiting upon the Lord and getting his direction is more important than circumstances. Psalms 37.7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Thirdly, God can use circumstances to direct us like he did with Gideon and the fleece in Judges chapter 6. But remember in that, that case study with the, the fleece and Gideon in, in chapter 6 of Judges, um, God had already directed Gideon to go ahead and, and fight that group of people and, and for the, the, the people of Israel, he just used the fleece to, to, um, to, to confirm it. That was all. But I'd also be careful 
Um, the availability of significant mortgage financing or other forms of credit may not be God opening the doors for you to buy something, but rather it could be the enemy tempting you to get into debt. So you've got to be careful. The availability of credit or a loan may not be the Lord directing you. Above all, our relationship with Jesus Christ is paramount. Jesus used the analogy of a shepherd and his sheep to explain that by having a close relationship with him, we can hear his voice and follow his leading with what Christ said. This is John chapter 10. Jesus said, The watchman, that is God the Father, opens the gate for him, that is Jesus Christ, and the sheep, that's you and I, listen to his voice. He, that is God, calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So here's a question. Have you developed your relationship with Christ to the point that you can hear God's voice? Um, God may not speak to you audibly. He hasn't spoke to me audibly, but he sure speaks to me through his word, highlights scripture through his spirit. Um, he can speak to my heart or my mind. He can speak to your heart or your mind. He can give us a peace or lack of peace. He can also speak to us through godly counsel as well. So there's so many ways that, that God can direct us, but you have to take the time to develop your relationship with the Lord. In summary, if you really want God's best with respect to making financial decisions, what do you need to do? And provide a reference to scripture for each point. So what do you need to do to make sure that you, you receive God's best before you make a major financial decision? Here's my answer. You must spend quality time with the Lord in prayer, listening to his voice, John 10, 27, reading his words, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, seeking godly counsel, Proverbs 12, 15, and you and I must wait upon the Lord for his specific direction as to what he wants us to do. Remember Psalms 32, 8, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And of course, once God provides his instruction, we need to obey God. We need to follow up and we need to trust him for the results. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 states, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That completes session two of the three sessions on the topic of obtaining godly counsel and wisdom. I'd encourage you to watch the other two sessions, which are available on our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. Further, if you want to learn more about biblical financial principles or other topics, such as God's wisdom on debt and how to get out of debt, budgeting, um, secular versus a biblical perspective on money, how management of money can impact your relationship with your spouse, investing God's way, biblically-based estate planning, etc., many others, be sure to go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. You can also download a free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System. Watch the videos to help you develop and implement a budget. You can join our Financial Moment email list, which is a one-minute summary of a biblical, biblical principle on finances. Most of the resources on the website are free. I'd like to now close in prayer. Father, I just ask that you move in the hearts and minds of the people listening and encourage them to follow up and to uh, apply the biblical financial principles in obtaining counsel from you, Lord, um, obtaining counsel and direction from your word and also obtaining biblical counsel from a godly financial advisor. Lord, just guide and direct the people that are listening to this show. In Jesus' name, amen. To learn more, go to copelandfinancialministries.org. For example, you can watch the two other sessions on the topic, Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom, or download a free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System, or sign up for the Financial Moments and access numerous other resources, the majority of which are free. Again, copelandfinancialministries.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance.
Further, our Financial Moment podcasts are now streaming everywhere. Search for Copeland Financial Ministries on your favorite streaming platform.